This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Politically Homeless. More and more people becoming politically homeless every day. It's like the opposite of a crisis. But here we are doing our best. And I appreciate that about you. So, the show's a day late, and here's why. I don't like being late on my show. I like to put it out Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. That is my commitment to myself. But yesterday, as I was prepping to do this show, and the day before actually, uh, we're putting in a garage and some new concrete at our house, and there was like hammering and people talking and concrete being poured right out the window that is in the studio that I'm in right now, and it was not conducive for quality recording. So, decided to do it now. And we've got some stuff to talk about today. We've got a few things. We've got a little cyber attack and a gas shortage. Uh, we're going to rip on Lauren Boebert a little bit, which will be pretty fun. Uh, some misleading COVID numbers from the CDC. Who knew that was going to happen? And, uh, you know, McDonald's in Ohio just incentivizing the vaccine, which, you know, makes a little bit of sense, to be honest with you. And then we're going to talk about uh, credibility and responsibility and something to think about. But the state of things should be fun. And we'll get into it. We'll have a good time. I've been kind of diving in. I mean, this has become a, a, a hotter topic lately than than what I remember it being um, is this this Palestinian conflict. I've been diving in quite a bit. Looking into people like Abby Martin and that are investigative journalists that are kind of anti-imperialistic in their view of the world, which I find valuable in, in, in various ways, but just spending, you know, six, seven, eight hours just kind of reading, watching videos, watching documentaries, trying to understand this situation from either hyper-biased parties or unbiased parties um, that are kind of just laying out the framework. So between those two, this has become such an, something in that I'm kind of frustrated with myself not having paid much attention to before. Um, and it's not a thing I want to throw into the state of things or the actual show, but I think it, it's worth talking about um, and putting it out there because I'm not an expert on these things. I'm not an expert on geop geopolitics. I'm not an expert on a goddamn thing. And you guys know that. And I think that everybody uh, understands that that listens to this show. I'm an opinion commentator. Okay. That being said, my opinion from what I've seen so far in this Israel-Palestinian conflict is that one side of this situation has most of the leverage, most of the firepower, most of the political influence, and commits most of the human rights violations, that side being Israel. Okay, now I give zero fucks what somebody's uh, relig religious affiliation is. Okay, I think that when you have a part of the world where numerous messiahs coalesce in a very similar time frame, then, you know, when you have dogma attached to that ideology being superior, you get into some really uh, sketchy situations that lead to things like this. This is not a new phenomenon. 
Okay, you saw this when the Bible was translated into German for the first time via um, uh, Martin Luther and the wars that broke out against the Protestants and the Catholics and the third baptism. If you don't know what that is, it's murdering somebody by drowning them, essentially drowning them with a teeter totter. Those are very common practice a couple of hundred years ago, right? Not that long ago. And I do want to hear, uh, share that I, I've had this, this notion or heard this thing about how these, these people have been fighting for thousands of years over religion. That doesn't really seem to be what this is, and it has not been thousands of years. I think it's been something like 73 or 75 years that this conflict has escalated. And Gaza used to be a place where Jews and, and Muslims and Christians could exist peacefully. And now things have, have, have definitely changed. I think so much about this now in the past few days has probably been one of the reasons watching all this stuff that I've been kind of in this a little bit of a funk lately, just kind of somewhat depressed and, and struggling a little bit, just, just mentally having seen all of this, right. I'm watching Israeli snipers, um, shoot 12 year old boys who are throwing rocks in the face and then laugh about it. And this isn't a highlight, a high note to start, start the show on, but I would feel remiss not to talk about it a little bit here. And I see, you know, missiles being launched into, into Israel and then Ben Shapiro crying about it and yelling, which as if he is, if his, if his, as if he is an unbiased party in this situation. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, if you're um, a Palestinian who only has water three days a week, um, who has watched their children be shot who have watched uh, medical people or medical help uh, medics be shot, uh, the press be shot, um, have tear gas and exploding bullets used on your people. Yeah, I think it's 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 expected that you're going to fight dirty because you're heavily outgunned. Um, I'm not necessarily defending either side, or maybe I am. Fuck it if I know, right? But looking at this, it's been... It's challenging because where's our tax money going? I think about that too. I'm looking at all of this. Like we, we give a lot of money to Israel, a lot of money to Israel. And then I think about, you know, to go down the rabbit hole and point, put my little tinfoil hat on. I think about Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell's ties to Israel and the amount of dirt that they likely have on American politicians and uh, influential figures within the American establishment. And I think it, I would be naive if I didn't believe that that had some influence on what's going on. And this is such a weird deal. Like I, to, to, to think that I'm like, it's one of those things where I'm looking at like clearly propaganda from both sides. It seems like, and having to sift through propaganda to try and find a nugget of, of truth, which is really hard. And I don't understand why there can't be some kind of peace talks. But then I hear I hear Charlie Kirk or Ben Shapiro say that Palestinians have all, have all the freedoms. Um, but when they're protesting and getting shot to shit by snipers from Israel, um, 300 yards from the, from the border fence, for throwing rocks, by the way, maybe, or just standing there. Or um, they said this one nurse, I actually watched a thing about this one nurse who, who did use herself as a human shield to shield wounded people that she was trying to get off, um, off and back to the medical tent. Um, was shot and killed, which is a, is a human rights violation. Shooting press is also a human rights violation, but several members of the press, um, have been gunned down using, um, chemical agents. Again, a human rights violation that's been done. 
And then, you know, I, I, I hear Shapiro talk about, well, the, these, these missiles, 90% of which get shot down by the Iron Dome in these cities, and it, some get through, of course. Um, I hear him talking about, well, this, this dad and his seven-year-old daughter got killed by one of these missile attacks. Yeah, well, but I just saw a clip from 2018 of these snipers uh, videoing and shooting a 12-year-old boy um, and laughing about how his feet kicked up when he was shot. And then a, tw- a two-year-old, actually, a two-year-old was shot. I don't know if it was intentional or a, a pass-through situation, but a two-year-old was shot and killed, too. So it's like both sides of this thing um, end up being culpable in a lot of terror, essentially. But I, I, I am hesitant to call one side a terrorist organization when you have an occupying force that is severely um, advanced, it outguns the other side by a tremendous amount and out, is outfunded uh, to by the United States, honestly. So I don't know. I mean, there's got to be some kind of way to figure this out. But it, it seems like more of a land-border situation than a religious situation because Christians and Muslims in Palestine exist, somewhat, it seems, somewhat peacefully. And they have vastly different views. Um, so I don't know. This is a weird deal. We're in a weird spot right here. And you can call me anti-Semitic if you want or whatever, whatever, but like, I'm not. So fuck you. If that's, if that's your, if that's your defense to the situation, I just don't, I don't see, and this is, I I hold, I try to hold America to account for their human rights violations as well. You know, but I think that there's a difference, right? So let's just take this example of the guy getting hit in a missile attack and his daughter being killed. So a man and a seven-year-old daughter being killed in a missile attack from Palestine. I find that somewhat different, not good, but somewhat different than putting your crosshairs on a child's head and squeezing one off and then laughing about it, right? Collateral damage is what America is as branded uh, innocent civilians being killed. Collateral damage is different than intentional killing, right? If a few kids get killed in a drone strike, that's different than a, uh, a Marine walking into a school and shooting a few kids. That's a different situation. To, think, think that the, to put those things on the same level is, is a false equivalency. So we're in this, this is this really weird deal, and I'm trying to take, uh, take as much of it in and understand much of it as I can, but we're seeing people saying, well, it was better when Trump was president, right? Which is just, it's the clear hypocrisy on the right. It's like, oh, well, it was better when Trump was president. It's like, well, they weren't talking about it as much because you had a reality TV show host as a, as a president, so that sucked a lot of the air out of the room. And the, most of the stuff that I've seen is from 2018, 2017, 2018, 2019, not from the last six months. So we have seen the rockets and things like that that have escalated. But then again, if you're being forced out of your homes, if you're not allowed to build a home on your own property because the Israelis will not give you permits to do that, if you're only getting water three days a week and you have to store it on the side of your house while just down the road, Israeli occupiers have water and yards and they're watering their yards and trees and water seven days a week and electricity all the time. These guys don't have electricity like 17 hours out of the day sometimes. Most of the time, actually, in Palestine. So you're seeing a lot of, a lot of propaganda on both sides, as I said, but what a weird, what a weird and interesting situation that we find ourselves in where we it seems like we could gain a little bit more global respect by re- helping resolve this conflict. And it, I don't know if, I don't know if there's not enough resources there to elicit support from the United States. Like we can't 
maybe there's not enough there that we can milk from them to to um, spur us into action, but it's a weird deal. It is a very weird deal, and, and I wanted to speak about it a little bit. If you have any thoughts, make sure to DM me on, on Instagram and just let me know if you have any any uh, resources or content. Like I'm super open-minded to this, and I'd like to learn more about it, so reach out and let me know um, what you think. I really appreciate that. And if you want to get more involved in the conversation and force me to talk about this, you can do so in the Patreon community. You literally can strong-arm me into talking about whatever you want me to talk about inside the Patreon on the Patreon only episode that comes out every week, crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon, and it's just a lot. This is a delightful experience. It's a great crew. So check that out. The link is in the show notes. It's Patreon.com/slash Politically Homeless. Join up, support the show. It means the world to me, and I love doing those premium podcasts just for the Patreon community because we can say things and do things behind that paywall that we just can't do out in the public. You know what I mean? There's things you do behind closed doors that you just don't go out and do in public, and that's kind of what happens in the Patreon community. So make sure to check that out. Also, if you want to support the show in other ways, there's a various variety of ways you can do that. Make sure to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review let me know your thoughts on the show. Make sure it's five stars. Even if you hate it, leave a five-star review and then leave a really mean uh, comment in there. That's fine as well. Just make sure it's a five-star review. That's all we really care about here. Your feedback isn't necessarily that important to me. I'm kidding. It actually is. It is. You know it is. You know I care. That's why I do this. That's why I do this. I'm here for you. So make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. It helps a ton. All right. Well, With all that being said, it's time to get to the state of things. Let's dive in. Gas stations along the southeast coast suffer fuel shortages, panic amid pipeline shutdown. All right, so we got the New York Post here with a couple of articles letting us in on this, what's going on in the southeast. Now, we'll say that this has been mostly resolved and everything's going to be back to normal in a few days, but that didn't really stop everybody from freaking the fuck out, which has become normal in a weird way. Like freaking out over shortages of things has become normal in our society, and I, maybe it always was, and I just didn't notice, but this seems to be the, the the general mindset of Americans now is selfishness and and chaos and panic. <laughs> so, anyways, gas stations along the southeast coast are being slammed by panic buying and long lines as the cost of ga- a gallon of gas approaches what it was more than six years ago. The shutdown of the biggest oil pipeline in the U.S. from a crippling cyber attack believed to be orchestrated by Russian-based criminal group pushed Tuesday's national average gas price to $2.98.5 uh, per gallon of gas, according to the AAA. That's just a tiny fraction of a penny from the $2.99 and higher gas prices in November of 2014. According to the AAA, so anyways, this is what we got here. We've got people in these long-ass lines uh, freaking out, getting gas. Just hella lines here, which is unfortunate. I haven't seen any of this in Colorado. Of course, Colorado's not in the southeast, but you're seeing all kinds of people, just long lines around the block. Now, 
it's interesting here, and I want to shed some light on this cyber attack. I think that's actually the more important story because we've seen people freak out over like toilet paper and ammunition is up like 400%. Like it's people like they freak out and want to stockpile things and don't just cool their tits and, and get themselves sorted to where we can have some kind of pragmatic approach to this. That's not how Americans work. Okay. That's not the American way. The American way is to react quickly uh, and think about it later. So anyways, the cyber attack on the U S pipeline is linked to a Russian criminal gang. This is also from the New York post. The cyber attack that shut down a major oil pipeline was carried out by a gang that is known to extort corporations and give a cut of the ransoms to charity. (laughs) (laughs) I low-key love this. This is so funny. The Colonial Pipeline, which carries more than 100 100 million gallons of fuel from Texas to the northeast each day, has been out of service since Friday. Two sources with knowledge of the federal investigation into the attack told the Associated Press that the criminal enterprise known as Darkside is behind it. Darkside launched a ransomware attack against Colonial, which involved paralyzing company networks before demanding a large ransom to undo the damage. Colonial on Sunday said it's developing a system restart plan for the pipeline, which delivers about 45% of East Coast fuel supply. We are in the process of restoring service to other laterals and will be will be will bring our full system back online only when we, be, we believe it's safe to do so and in full compliance with the approval of all federal regulations the company said in a state my, statement meanwhile the commerce secretary Gina Riamondo said on Sunday all hands on deck effort is underway to restore operations so what we're likely seeing here and what this article goes on to say is that they probably paid up right i mean there's so much money on the line they're losing millions and millions of dollars every day they probably paid up. And I'm glad that a little bit of that money went to charity, which is like such a, like, I think it's, it's this dark side organization is kind of like a modern day Robin Hood, like a cyber attack Robin Hood. It's like steal from the rich and give to the poor. I'm not mad at it. You know, it's just Russians being like Americans love their oil. <laughs> Americans love their oil and their gas and driving around in their cars. Let's fuck them over. And this happens actually all the time. They actually refer to this as something like death by a thousand cuts. These extortion groups, uh, which you don't hear about a ton, but they strike a lot. And these companies, because they've got to do what they got to do, pay up. And in the, in the in the out of the goodness of their hearts, Dark Side is um, donating <laughs> proceeds to charity out of this to keep in some kind of good favor, which I think is is funny. It, it's not. This thing is more funny than it is scary to me. Because we, as the United States, have the, the most advanced military. We spend so much money on military, right? Like more than the next 12 countries combined, most of which are allies. And it's this propped up bullshit military industrial complex influenced system that is is just outgrown its usefulness, right? So we need to occupy different places and do different things and have 800 military bases around the world uh, beca- to justify our expenditure. And to whittle that down would upset, um, you know, the Cheneys and people like that. So we can't ruffle their feathers at all. So we just keep doing what we're doing, which is, you know, I find relatively problematic. Um, But we do all of this, but still we get owned by China and Russia at home um, with things like this because our infrastructure lacks so much advancement due to the fact that we spend incredible amounts of money, trillions and trillions of dollars on our military, right? So like no country on this planet has a chance 
against our military if we were to go into a hot war. But that being said, we have no chance against other countries if we go into a real serious modern-day Cold War because our investment is on what Raytheon and Boeing have to offer, right, as far as actual military hardware, and our software here at home is is inadequate compared to what China has to, to offer when it comes to a real attack and shutting down our entire infrastructure. So... Pretty interesting stuff to see here. Like I said, like this is so similar to the toilet paper shortage, right? It's like people bringing in like a truck bed full of five gallon buckets of gas um, or, and filling those up as well. And then you have it, the increase in demand. Instead of people being like, hey, my response to this gas shortage is that I just, you know, I, I have half a tank in my car right now that'll last me five or six days. Uh, maybe I just drive a little bit, a little bit less. You know, we have COVID, so maybe you can work from home, maybe not. Maybe just doing a little bit less driving, uh, only doing what's necessary for a week or so, uh, stay calm, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, the response isn't that. It's to grab as many things that will hold gasoline as possible, fill your car up, and then hoard it. And that drives the price up, or drives the price up and drives demand up uh, by 30%. So there's a 30% increase almost in gas sales the following day, which then, if that were to happen under normal circumstances, would still leave many gas stations out of gas. And then you have no supply to back that up, so you end up in this really artificially inflated gas market due to public scares, and this is a great way for media then to do some fear-mongering because they need some ratings. So people are freaking out, so they're going to tune in. I'd like to see what uh, the local and mainstream news outlets did as far as numbers during this because they need a crisis really bad right now. And that's why we're seeing a lot more Israel-Palestine uh, coverage as well because they need something bloody and dangerous and scary to drive some ratings. So a lot going on here, but I really wish that the, the American mentality when it came to toilet paper or ammunition or gasoline was like, hey, let me just chill. Just chill. Okay? Like, it's, this is this, this mad dash to, to hoard toilet paper so you can wipe your bum is, like, a little bit obnoxious. There's still people right now, I guarantee there's still people right now who haven't had to buy toilet paper since the first month of COVID because they went fucking crazy on it at Sam's Club or Costco. And there's people right now with, with thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds of 5.56 ammunition, right, or 223 or 9 millimeter or 40 that will never get shot or get passed down to their children or something in fucking 40 years because they bought so much and fucked over everybody else. So it's like, well, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to. And that's kind of our general mentality. It's a general mentality of... of uh, entitlement and selfishness. And it's frustrating to watch. It really is. But watching, you know, this is it, it, this is a little sketchy and crazy, but at the same time, like this didn't need to go in the direction that it did. And yeah, people just need to calm the fuck down. You know, just take it, take a, take a minute, take a breath. It's okay. Maybe fill your tank up and call it good. You don't need to freak out. Driving around to try and find gas might actually be counterproductive as a, as a net positive when it comes to having fuel in your car. Just an idea. But that's what we got. Cyber attack, uh, donations to charity, and all in all, what will become down the road a very comical experience, in my opinion. A misleading 
CDC number. Now, we've, we should be pretty used to misleading CDC numbers because they err on the side of extreme caution um, with the consequence of usually causing more harm than good. But we've got this really interesting article here that was actually released by the New York Times, which I'm kind of surprised by, to be honest with you, but this is really interesting here. So we have a special edition of the newsletter on a misleading CDC statistic. And this is by David Lionheart. Um, when the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released new guidelines last month for mask wearing, it announced that less than 10% of COVID-19 transmission was occurring outdoors. Media organizations re repeated this statistic, and quickly it became the standard description of the frequency of outdoor transmission. But this number is almost certainly misleading. It appears to be based on a misclassification of some COVID transmissions that actually took, took place in enclosed spaces an even bigger issue is the extreme caution of CDC officials who picked a benchmark 10% so high that nobody could reasonably dispute it. The benchmark seems to be a huge exaggeration, says Dr. Muji Sevic, a virologist at the University of St. Andrews. In truth, the share, the share of transmission that occurred in outdoor spaces seems to be below 1% and maybe below 0.1%. Multiple epidemiologists told me the rare outdoor transmission that has happened almost seems to be involved in crowded places or a close conversation. Saying that less than 10% of COVID transmission occurs outdoors is akin to saying that sharks attack fewer than 20,000 swimmers a year. The actual worldwide number is about 150. This is both true and deceiving. This isn't a gotcha math issue, and it's, it's an example of how the CDC is struggling to communicate effectively and leaving many people... Confused about what's truly risky, CDC officials have placed a huge priority on caution that many Americans are bewildered by the agency's long list of recommendations. Zeynep Tefuxi of the University of North Carolina, writing in The Atlantic, called those recommendations simultaneously too timid and too complicated. They continue to treat outdoor transmission as a major risk. The CDC says that unvaccinated people should wear masks in most outdoor settings and vaccinated people should wear them in large public venues. Summer camps should require children to wear masks virtually at all times. So the funny thing is about this, it has been very clear for a year now that outdoor transmission is incredibly, incredibly rare. Like, you have a better chance of uh, getting struck by lightning 17 times in the face than you do of getting this thing outside. But you're seeing mass regulations in many places at dog parks, people walking around with masks outside all the time. And maybe in some places like New York, that may make sense because you're going inside and outside and inside and outside. You just, like, leave the damn thing on. And that's understandable, I guess, if you have those regulations. But you're having people in D.C. screaming at other people for not wearing a mask outside. Right. Or not wearing two masks outside, not masked enough. You know what I mean? And we're seeing that exactly how data gets manipulated. Right. This whole idea that less than 10 percent. That's like me saying I've killed less than 30 people in my life when the actual number is zero. Again, true and misleading. The shark attack example is outstanding as well because, yeah, this is the way that data gets manipulated. And one of the reasons that we have to be very critical of data and the interpretation of data because the CDC has incredible power, and they even did what they could to defend their statistic. And what happened was, this is what actually happened. There was one study out of Singapore, and it seemed like about 10% of COVID cases had come from a construction site. Okay, one construction site, which they deemed an outdoor uh, venue or an outdoor area. 
which is not the case at all. If you know anything about a construction site, you're inside, you're outside. If you're eating lunch, you're going to be huddled together in the shade. It's very hot. So they're going to be moving. They're going to be in closed areas when they're gathering together. If you're doing sheetrock or HVAC work, then you're inside a lot of times in close contact with somebody because they're holding up a piece of plywood or a piece of sheetrock and you are putting it together. Like there's a lot of things going on indoors in a construction site to classify a construction site as outdoor is wildly inaccurate right? This is not like landscaping, right? Which would be mostly outdoors, but this is a construction site, which they're literally building, turning the outdoors into the indoors. That's what construction sites generally do. So it was a mass, massive misqualification. And you see this happen a lot. This happened with the food pyramid and the low fat fad. It was one study that was sketchy at best. And that inspired years of, of propaganda around what our health system should be like and what our nutrition should be like, which gave fuck tons of people diabetes, right? Like six to 11 grains of servings of grains a day, like be, stay easy on the fat, right? Which we, now we know is completely backwards, completely backwards. And our idea that we can like hold on to one study, one study and like base a year of, of regulations and mandates off of a study that is not re it's not, um, reevaluated in a way that is productive. So you're seeing this a ton and people are like, well, look at the stats, look at the data, look what Rachel Maddow said. Like I, you have to actually dig in. And this is one of the things that's really frustrating on both sides. The like COVID doesn't exist side and the COVID will be here forever and is everything and will always be a part of it. We should wear masks forever. Uh, we should close any uh, concert venues like those people, right? They're both getting shitty information. They're both getting shitty information. And it's really frustrating because some people are impacted by this that are not obese and not old, right? Very, 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 very few. But at the same time, these numbers are so complicated, not straightforward, not vetted, and any criticism of them puts you in a conspiracy theory camp, right? So when you say like, well, there's tons of epidemiologists and and people that understand virology talking about how a little bit of wind and and um, UV radiation from the sun, like blasting apart, it just doesn't seem very resilient to act or activity. So if you're like walking past a person on the sidewalk or if you're at the dog park with someone, if you're just generally kind of around people outdoors, you're probably fine. If you're at it eating outdoors, things like that, there's very little chance, like very little chance. There's, a, you know, a, a, probably a better chance that a car is going to plow into your outdoor dining experience than you getting COVID in that outdoor dining experience. But there's no accountability, right? There's just this extreme lack of accountability when it comes to critical thought around the data. And people, and this is one thing that people on the right, like Ben Shapiro is is notorious for this kind of facts don't care about your feelings and worshiping data. But what he fails to understand and what many people on the left fail to understand as well is that your interpretation of data is viewed through your perceptive lens of reality. So that is a subjective experience. You interpreting data is data-driven subjective experience. That's what it is. So you're taking your lens, your experience, your context, applying it to data, and inferring things from that. So your opinions about the data are not the data itself. And that's something that people seem, seem to overlook. When somebody throws a pretty chart up and like has some numbers just throw at you, they seem to think, well, that makes somebody more credible, when really what you're actually listening to and being conned into believing is their interpretation of the data. 
which is quite uh, astonishing to to see. And when you start to notice that, you can start to see through the bullshit. But this isn't a surprise to anybody that these numbers have been slightly manipulated at best and egregiously manipulated at worst. Um, But we've got to see changes. We've got to see changes, right? We've got to see people being like, hey, you know what? We were cautious and we were wrong. And some accountability, some responsibility here. And we're just not seeing it from the CDC, which is supposed to be a leader in health and has seemed to fail at that more often than they succeed, which is quite frustrating. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. Here's the deal. Here is the deal, Jack. They re-upped. Elemental Labs re-upped for a three-month contract with this show. And here's why. Here's why. One, they have a fucking outstanding product. It's an outstanding product. Electrolytes, magnesium, the things that you need to hydrate yourself, especially if you're a big-time sweater, if you're very active, or if you're doing some kind of keto, low-carb, carnivore-style, or paleo-style diet, electrolytes are very essential, as well as magnesium. And delivering those to your body in a very delicious way only makes it better with no sugar and no bullshit. And if you don't like it, they have a no questions asked, 100% refund guarantee. Okay. Now they re-upped with us one because my ad reads are fucking fire. All right. And I don't, I don't, I don't bullshit you guys. I don't just read off the script. I tell you my personal experience. My personal experience with this delicious beverage is that it's really helpful. Okay. It helps me curve cravings because I like to, I like to snack at night. I like to smoke a little weed and snack at night. Okay. But now instead of that, I smoke a little herb and then I drink Element instead. Instead of getting, instead of getting a, a, a fupa, all right, or whatever you would call it on a man, a, a fat upper dick area, I get hydrated, all right? And it's fantastic. It's a beautiful experience. The drinking, drinking of Element is a beautiful, sacred experience that I cherish in my life every single fucking day. And I also like to drink a lot of coffee, and I know it's a diuretic, so I've got to get as much absorption of water as I can because coffee fuels my life. It does. And it's getting hot, baby. It is getting hot out there. Summer is right around the corner. If it's not here already, if you're in Texas right now, you're already in the, in the triple digits. You know what I'm saying? You got to take care of that. If you want to get out and experience nature at its fullest, which is really all you can do, because everything else is shut the fuck down, well, you're going to be putting in some miles and you're going to be sweating your ass off and Element helps save the day. Now, one thing they don't say that I will say is it that you're out and maybe you haven't been out to the club in a while and maybe they just opened up and you're like, I'm going to go get rowdy. Element helps hydrate you. You know, the biggest, one of the biggest factors in a hangover is dehydration and Element helps with that. It is the jam. Now, our listeners, the politically homeless, can get a seven-pack variety set up just by covering shipping, that's $5. And just try it out. If you want to just try it out, that's a great way to do it. Five bucks, boom, it's at your door in a couple of days. No big deal. But they just dropped, and I got this early because I'm a VIP, but they just dropped this watermelon flavor. And I will tell you what, I don't think I've ever put anything more delicious in my face. That was a beverage anyways. Okay. It is so refreshing and so good. Now, we just got this concrete put back in our house. We've had our sauna disconnected for a while. Yes, we have a sauna. Yes, we're bougie like that. I love getting in the sauna, and I love crushing myself in the sauna. I can go longer in the sauna because of Element. Okay? It's the shit. Now, that watermelon flavor is so good for summer. 
And if you want to make a little cocktail, I, I, I recommend the watermelon with the lemon habanero and a little bit of tequila and some ice. Bada bing, bada boom, backyard good time. Okay, But check out that watermelon flavor. It is so damn good. Like it, the, this, All the flavors are really good in different ways, but that watermelon, dude, even in the morning, oh, damn, it's salty, it's sweet, but there's no sugar. It's just, it's next level, man. It is next level. What they have developed over at Element is something really, really rad. And I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even overselling it. That's the thing. I'm not overselling it. This isn't some ad read bullshit. Okay, I'm not overhyping this product. If you like to work out, you like to eat clean, get yourself some Element. Take care of yourself. Now, you can go to DrinkLMNT dot com slash wanders get that variety pack for five dollars add on the watermelon do yourself a favor i'm telling you it's good the link is in the show notes you need it you want it and the reason that they re-upped with us is because you guys are loving it all right there's been repeat orders from our link people are digging it the proof is in the pudding you guys like it rob wolf developed it just get the shit man get it drink element.com d-r-i-n-k lmnt.com slash wanders stay moist baby well now let's talk about how you shouldn't address critical race theory lauren bobert is a representative out of rifle colorado which is actually a really beautiful city i've never been through there until just recently beautiful place really beautiful but her takes um on critical race theory and her reasoning behind it are a little bit uh, yeah you know what I mean? Just a little, like, come on. But uh, that's me. I'd love to hear what you have to think about, what you have to say about this. Um, let's, let's just get into it. She gave this little, this little talk at Washington just the other day. America is the greatest country this world has ever seen. Not a fact. And we are created in God's holy image. Unfalsifiable. And our founding fathers had it right. I can agree with that. That we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. They had it right in letting everyone know that these rights come from God Almighty, not from corrupt politicians. Because it's so clear, as soon as politicians have too much power they destroy everything. We are seeing what's happened with the Democrat-run House, Senate, White House. So it's funny that she's like, it's she doesn't say this explicitly, but she's saying that the corrupt politicians are the Democrats, right? It's like Republicans are believe in God, so they're obviously not corrupt because of, you know... Lord, I lift your name on high or some shit. And, um, but it's like, it's because of the Democrat led House and Senate, because they fucking lost, Lauren. You lost. Okay. You brought forth bad ideas. You didn't get with the times. You fucking lost. It wasn't stolen. None of that shit. You lost. Okay. You're a sore loser. That's for sure. And you're moronic in the way that you approach the Second Amendment, which is just comical and frustrating to anybody who actually enjoys the Second Amendment. But you're going to take this is your approach, right? This is your this is the this is the intro into what you're going to talk about. And now, in this time, you've said that Democrat politicians are corrupt, even though even though Mitch McConnell's wife has deep China business ties, and he has massive conflicts of interest when it comes to China. Those kind of things, you know, or, or that the China, the Chinese Communist Party funded the George W. Bush Library. How did you know that? Talk about corrupt politicians being the, the, the Democrats. 
Are you for real? Did you see why your uh, your friend down there in Georgia lost because of her insider trading? Wow. It must just be the fucking Democrats. Now, I don't want to defend the Democrats. They're just equally as corrupt. But to paint this picture is super disingenuous and a straight-up fucking lie. May as well have the Supreme Court. May as well have the Supreme Court, your orange douchebag president, fucking appointed like seven of those motherfuckers. Like, most of the Supreme Court has been appointed by Republicans. So again... You, the person you worship, your second messiah, Donald J. Trump, what did he appoint three or four Supreme Court justices? And now you're going to say they're basically liberals? Give me a fucking break, you goddamn moron. The so-called fourth branch of government, and those three-letter agencies, absolutely my motivator. All I ever wanted to be was a mom. But their future motivated me to do so much more. I stand before you all today because of the American dream, because we all have equal opportunity, not equal outcomes, and that's okay. To think that all people, to think that all people in this country, okay, have equal opportunity, I'm not making this about race, but people in general, if you think they all, everybody has equal opportunity, you're full of shit. It's just not true. There's many factors that go into that. Many factors. Uh, parents are a huge one. Okay, if you're born with fucking crackhead parents or junky parents or even parents who are, are unavailable, that has a lot to do with your childhood development. If you have parents that tell you if you're a woman, you should be subservient to your husband and that your goal in life is to have children, that's your only purpose, well, that's going to have an impact on your development and what you're capable of in the world. And that doesn't suit you as a human being. Well, then that does something, right? That changes the access you have to understanding yourself and what you're capable of, thus changes the impact it has on your opportunities in life. There are a ton of variables, a ton of variables. But people that have been railroaded by our economic structure do not have the same access to education. They don't have the same access to opportunity. White, black, Mexican, whatever. So to say that is incredibly naive. Now, you can have outlier success in the same way that you can have outlier failure and people that have propped up with tons of opportunity. I can tell you and be honest about the fact that I had more opportunities than most and a more diverse set of opportunities than most people did due to people that were not me. Due to the people who raised me, due to their intentions and their motivations, I had more access to opportunities to start businesses at a young age, to be very entrepreneurial, to try things out. To fail. And the, 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 the biggest component, in my opinion, to access to opportunity is access to failure without it ruining your fucking life. You need, if you're going to do something, you're going to go out into the world and try something new and really like challenge yourself, it's very likely that you're going to fail. And if you can fail with enough consequences to learn your lesson, but not so much that it ruins you, you are in a different echelon of opportunity because most people don't have that, uh, that, that ability. And generally speaking, that doesn't have much to do with you. It has to do with those around you. And that there's a lot, there's a lot of nuance in this that people like Lauren Boebert have no ability to accept. I'm not afraid of a challenge. I'm not afraid to throw my hat in the ring and try to accomplish something better. But I want that opportunity to be there 
for everyone in America. I charge the men and women at home watching this, get involved. Get involved at a local level. Show up to your school board meetings. Listen to what is taking place. Have an opinion on the curriculums that are being taught to our children. If you feel compelled, run for office. Be on the school board. That is the most important part of government, especially right now. Our children are so valuable. Their future is so valuable and we cannot lose it to something like this racist, critical race theory. Okay, so here's you're gonna dovetail into critical race theory. But here's what I thought, right? Like everyone knows, everyone who listens to the show or knows anything about me knows that I think critical race theory is absolute trash, okay? Now that being said, I could go back and know, know myself now, know my values, the way that I, that I see the world. And if I could plant myself into uh, an era when we were fighting against segregation or for segregation, depending on which side you were on, I could say that I was most likely in 70% of the 70% chance that I would end up on the anti-segregation side of things, right? I know that historical context, if I was raised in that time, things would be different depending on where I grew up, how I grew up, my experiences, and I, I'm honest about that because I'm not delusional, okay? I'd like to say there's a 100% chance that I would have been an anti-segregationist, but that's naive, okay? I look at Lauren Boebert and I say, what would, given her personality and the way that she sees the world and the way that she, her ideology, if we went back to the segregation times and the segregation fight, which side would she likely be on? I'm not gonna answer that question for you, but it's something worth thinking about. Racist Democrats have always been after our children. They pushed for segregation in schools in the 60s, and now they're pushing this critical race theory in our schools, which is nothing more than modern day racism. Democrats want to teach our children to hate each other. This radical theory brings division, not unity. It advances hate, not love. And it puts a person's skin as more important than the content of our character. President Lincoln once quoted the words of Jesus, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We are the United States of America, not the divided states of America. I mean, I love when people that aren't in power, I love that when the party not in power is like, we need unity. It's always, watch it, watch it. When everything flips, when everything flips in two years or four years, which will happen, watch the Democrats be like, we need to be more united. It's always the party that's not in power that's crying for unity. Like, God, fuck off. America will not to fall to its knees from an outside threat, not to China, not to Russia, and certainly not to North Korea or ISIS. Donald Trump, and I've learned more about this lately, Donald Trump got absolutely worked by Xi. Absolutely worked. It's embarrassing how he got worked by that man. And to, say that, and to sit here and, and pin it on the Democrats, give me a break, dude. They are too weak, and we are too strong for them. If America falls, it will be because we destroyed ourselves from within. It'll be because we, taught, we were taught to hate instead of love. We glorified division over unity. We praised communism over freedom. 
This is from the same type of people that get mad about Starbucks having Happy Holidays cups. Like the, I, I can, I would put every dollar I have on the table and say, Lauren, I bet you were upset about the Starbucks Happy Holidays cups, and now you're sitting here talking about unity, like a company that serves. People of all different races, religions, creeds, whatever. One of the biggest companies in American history, a Slang's Coffee, makes a pretty cup that says Happy Holidays, and people like you, religious ideologues, would not shut the fuck up about it. And now, you're frustrated because you're on the receiving end of the bullshit. It's funny how things turn around real quick when that's the case. We have people marching in the streets demanding that our rights be taken from us. In what country does that happen? That will be the end of America. And I am proud to be here today to stand with my colleagues in the Freedom Caucus and to say... The Freedom Caucus is just her and Marjorie Taylor Greene, by the way. Hell no to this racist propaganda. The Democrats want to fundamentally change America. They've told us, believe them because that's what they are doing. And they want to destroy this shining city on a hill. If we don't stop teaching critical race theory, then in the words of President Reagan, we will sit, spend our sunset years telling our children and, the, and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men and women were free. I hope you all take a stand at home today, and I hope you all in the media do your job in reporting this. Our children depend on you. Thank you to my friend Dan Bishop for putting this together. Okay, so here are my thoughts. Here are my thoughts on this. In a very similar way to the Second Amendment issue that people like Lauren and Marjorie Taylor Greene speak on often, Right. In my opinion, they make it worse. In the same way that people, Trump said, you don't need to wear masks. And everybody's like, I'm going to wear 17 masks because Trump said, you know, that I don't need to, right? It was just this, this, they don't understand the impact of their own words and their own presence. They lack self-awareness on a level that is embarrassing to watch. Okay. So when she comes out, only people that are going to listen to her are people that already agree with her. This, 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 this speech, this thing she just did, did not sway one person. One person who didn't agree with her. She didn't do anything. She just talked to a microphone and got a little bit of microphone time. That's it. And believe me, I know quite a bit about microphone time. All right? All she was doing was talking to people who already agree with her, not bringing forth any nuance, not accepting any responsibility, not having an ounce of critical thought except for being critical of the opposition, not being critical of her own side, which is actually more powerful. Being critical of your own side and honest about your own side and your own shortcomings, especially, is something that neither side of the political spectrum has embraced and has lost credibility due to that inadequacy. So she's done absolutely nothing here but breathe with words. That's it. And it's going to further entrench people on the other side, which is actually what she wants because that's how she gains relevance. This happens on both sides, but the right does it in a much goofier way. Okay, it's one of the things that really frustrates me about these, this type of conservative is they think they're standing up for something when all they're doing is making the problem worse. They're throwing gasoline on the fire and claiming to be trying to put the fire out. 
And you see that all the time, right? I get frustrated because I am very critical of, of critical race theory. I think it's garbage. I am a pro-Second Amendment American. And I notice that people like her and Marjorie are more of a part of the problem than they are part of the solution because they don't want to have honest dialogue. It's very, very frustrating. I mean, she brought the words of Ronald Reagan, who was who did more harm than good, especially when it comes to race relations and 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 drug legislation. Between him and Nixon, they fucked us when it came to that stuff. They built the 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 prison industrial complex, and you're going to bring him up as a beacon of some kind of unity or or wisdom. Comical. I'm not saying Reagan was a bad leader, but there were some serious shortcomings, and I don't really feel like his name being brought up in this context makes that much sense. So we're seeing a very thinly veiled cry for attention and really just trying a rallying of one's own base with zero critical dialogue and zero olive branches reached, extended to people who disagree, which has moved their position zero. So you've done nothing, Lauren. You have accomplished, you took your time to write this speech or have someone write it for you to accomplish nothing and maybe just make the problem worse. And you're seeing this over and over and over again from the left and the right. And it is obnoxious and annoying and fucking useless. It's a waste of everybody's time, hers, mine, yours. We're still talking about it because I think it's important to point out exactly what this is and what this does. Now, excuse my dogs, caller there. Not the best for audio, but I'm a double dog dad right now flying solo. So it is what it is. Fuck you, Lauren Berber. McDonald's used packaging to promote the COVID-19 vaccines. <laughs> Can't even get that out without laughing. This is hilarious. The fast food chain is partnering with the White House and encouraging its customers to get vaccinated. Right here, we have this beautiful photo of uh, some fries with a, with, a, with a needle or a syringe and uh, some COVID-19 molecules there. This isn't actually what the packaging is going to look like. Uh, this is just a mock-up here that's, that's really, really funny. Um... So McDonald's will soon be serving its customers a friendly reminder to get their COVID-19 vaccine. The fast food chain has partnered with the Biden administration on its We Can Do This campaign to help share vaccine information with its customers across the country, and the restaurant plans to spread the word in multiple ways over the coming months. As part of the campaign, McDonald's will debut COVID-19 vaccine information from trusted third parties on its Times Square billboard later this month. The billboard is located right above one of the iconic McDonald's restaurants in the country, so the company is hoping to get a lot of eyeballs on it. Okay, so here's the cup. It says we can do this, and it's going to have like some vaccine information here. I've got some thoughts about this. You know, my general stance on the vaccine is if you're healthy and you take care of yourself, you have plenty of vitamin D, do the thing like exercise, your lungs are healthy. I think that's a big part of it too. If your lung capacity and lung strength is there, uh, you could probably kick this thing. No problem. Um, but if you want to get the vaccine, you should be able to get it. It should be fucking free. And, uh, that's not the case, but it should be that way. And it should be available to anybody who wants to get the vaccine and feels that's better for them. And if you don't want to get it, you shouldn't be forced to take it pretty standard, um, pretty down the middle as far as my view on this whole thing. I am choosing not to get it. I've gone over that on many shows previous to this one. But that being said, I've kind of reevaluated my look at things like the McDonald's support here, uh, Krispy Kreme, all this other bullshit, right? 
Because if you're the type of person to take health advice from McDonald's, and if you're the type of person to get a vaccine because of Krispy Kremes, okay, if any of those things really like move the needle for you as far as your decision to get the vaccine, I would go as far to say you're probably the type of person who needs the vaccine, okay? I would say if you are a frequent visitor, a high-volume consumer of McDonald's, then you're probably also at high risk for complications with COVID-19. I don't think, I think there's a strong correlate there and I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying that. Okay, so when McDonald's wants to put some information on a coffee cup and that's going to be um, your method of, of obtaining information about the COVID vaccine, I'm going to actually encourage you to please get vaccinated because it's probably the best move for you. And if you don't really like, the type of people who are choosing not to get vaccinated are the type of people who wouldn't put this kind of shit in their bodies anyways, right? They're not like, man, I really want some chicken nuggets right now. I don't, I, it's like, I, I, it's, they're not the kind of people that want, you know, a, a double baconator. Is that, is that McDonald's? I don't even know anymore. I don't even know anymore. But it's just like, it's not the type of, type of people that are choosing not to get vaccinated that actually ingest a lot of McDonald's. So this really isn't doing all that much. And it's helping McDonald's gain a little bit of free advertising and a little bit of favor with the White House. And you know how it is, right? McDonald's had a big influence on the food pyramid, right? Oh, the McDonald's and Coca-Cola took Michelle Obama's uh, get out and move program and just raped it to death because she was actually advocating for some common sense health protocols. And McDonald's and Coca-Cola were like, no, you're not. <laughs> I don't think you understand how this shit works, Michelle. But it ain't like that. It ain't like that. So... I actually don't have a problem with this. I think that the high riskers in the drive-thru sucking down to big old Coca-Colas and, and, and slamming McGriddles, please go get the vaccine. You need it. Okay? Maybe get maybe they'll put the vaccine in a happy meal for you. Maybe they'll just find a way to inject those little, you know, those little like syrup pockets that are in McGriddles, apparently. Maybe they'll just inject the vaccine into those. So you can just ingest it all at one time, right? Get that big insulin spike and then have a nice vaccine absorption throughout your entire body. That, that, that makes sense. Like this might be the only distribution method that I've seen of the vaccine that actually makes sense. They should just give shots at McDonald's. It doesn't seem that hard. I'm sure McDonald's employees can do it. You know, shake a little fry, give a little shot. Boom, 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 done, done. But I am in full support of frequent visitors of McDonald's Getting the COVID-19 vaccine. It makes all the sense in the world. Now, things have gone a step further in Ohio. Check this shit out. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine on Wednesday announced a series of statewide drawings to provide incentives for Ohioans to get the COVID-19 vaccine. The wide access to the life-saving vaccine... To help, Ohio, keep, help keep Ohioans safe, Governor DeWine also announced that the COVID-19 health orders would be removed on June 2nd. DeWine made the announcement during a statewide address to Ohioans Wednesday evening. Let's look at this drawing situation. In an effort to increase the number of Ohioans who are currently not uh, taking the COVID-19 vaccine to get vaccinated, Governor DeWine announced a series of statewide drawings to help incentivize vaccinations. Ohioans under the age of 18... 
under the age of 18 who are eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine will be entered into a drawing for a four-year scholarship to any Ohio State colleges and universities, including full tuition, room, and board. Wow. Okay. Well, that's going to... that. That's going to move the needle for some people. Ohioans aged 18 and older will be entered to win a weekly drawing with a prize of up to $1 million. So now they've turned, there should be five weekly drawings that they've turned into a fucking game show. Like, I think they're going to have a thing now where if you want to be on like Wheel of Fortune, you've got to get, get the vaccine on air, right? They're going to vaccinate you while, like, you're going to spin the wheel. You'll spin the wheel. You know, but and then you'll hit the vaccine one. Like, yeah, I get the vaccine. Like, that's what they should do. This should be this it's like a vaccine game show. That's where this is going. Are you fucking serious? Like, I'm not even mad at it because it's just so comical. It's so comical. And I know some people in Ohio that have gotten the vaccine, and I hope they win the million dollars. That would be fantastic. But this is just getting so out of hand. We got McDonald's pushing it, and then we got this 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 raffle, which is gonna. I mean. I guess like it's like a stimulus package or something, but giving kids, you know, that have got the vaccine, like full tuition at Ohio state school, like great, I guess. I mean, this is, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Like this is, this is amazing. <laughs> like the, the shit that we've resorted to now to push people to get this thing. And if you're going to get it, get it. Like I, you're probably going to be fine. I, I don't care. I don't need to I keep posting your vaccine cards. I just don't. I'm not taking a stance that like nobody needs to get this thing. Like if you feel like it's the best thing for you, like get after it. I don't think and I, my biggest stand on this is not forcing people to take it. But if you want to say, Hey, I'm going to put a carrot on a stick for you and let you chase it around. Um, if that's your, if that's your move. Okay. I mean, I guess that that's fine. It's just, it's just so silly. Like a vaccine game show. Like I just, I just can't. This is too this is too good. This is just too good. Ohio, you know what? Ten points for creativity. <laughs> this is fucking I wonder who pitched this idea. Like they're sitting in they're sitting in a room with with the governor and it's like, how are we gonna get more people to take vaccines? How are we gonna reach these kids? And it's like, let's give them free school and uh and and a million dollars. Oh my god. <sighs> what a world. What a world. We live in. Well, that's it for the state of things, everybody. Let's get into something to think about. One of my favorite parts of the show. I mean, I just love this whole show. Don't let me lie to you. Let's do it. So I'm noticing some things. I've been noticing some things. So there's this aspect of insecurity. And, you know, as many of you know, my background for the past five, six years has been in personal development work. And before that, I was a, I was a, a strength and conditioning coach. So I've dealt with people one on one in very intimate settings for a long time, right? Getting in, getting into vulnerable situations and having uh, really vulnerable discussions, and I feel like what I do with this show is kind of overlay that experience onto the political realm, which is essentially like the, a large human behavior experiment. That's kind of how I look at the United States. It's how I look at 
geopolitics. It's how I look at um, Democrats and Republicans. That's kind of the lens that I view all of this through, which has kind of led me to being politically homeless and doing all of this. So one of the things that, that I've come to understand is this aspect of insecurity where you perceive admitting you are wrong as a weakness, right? Accepting, admitting, taking responsibility for how and when you were wrong as a weakness. And there's many places where that can become a problem, right? Relationships, that's a problem. Friendships, at work. Um, but where it is the biggest problem and the most egregious problem and where, where it really impacts the most people, the highest volume of people, is when that insecurity manifests itself in a leadership uh, organization, a leadership role. When this aspect of insecurity bleeds into leadership, like it has with the CDC, right? That's who we're talking about specifically, right? We talked about their inability to accept that their data was wildly exaggerated, that their the way that they're assessing risk is is hyper hyper protective to the point of having unintended consequences of being more damaging than productive, and the consequence of that is a massive loss in credibility and public trust. And when we look at this, right, one of the best ways, and if you, if you think about it in the microcosm of like a relationship, one of the best ways to regain trust is to take responsibility and admit when one is wrong. That is a strength, not a weakness. And what we're seeing in the CDC and, and representatives, representatives of the CDC is this doubling down on poor information and really inefficient uh, sharing of information and, and and very confusing information. And there's zero accountability and zero responsibility on the part of these leadership organizations to regain credibility because they have an insecurity attached to entitlement. And when you have those two things coalesce together, you have a very dangerous situation. And that situation is playing out with very, very frustrating consequences, right? This lack of understanding, this huge difference based on partisanship and as far when it comes to compliance with regulations or acceptance of mandates. When if you people would start to roll back, take responsibility, take ownership for mistakes, you would see an increase in public trust, not a decrease, right? Because we're finding out through other sources that Fauci was full of shit or that the CDC heads were full of shit, right? They, they, they're, they're, they're manipulating data and interpreting data in a, very, in a way that's very generous to them and very detrimental to other people. And that, over time, will degrade public trust. And maybe there will come a time when public trust in these organizations and these leaders will become important again. And when you prime that neural pathway of distrust and it's validated over and over again, there's really very little way that you're going to regain that without a massive amount of time. So either these organizations don't really care about uh, quality leadership, which I think is mostly true, um, or and or they feel entitled to be trusted and they don't feel that trust is earned and that credibility is earned. I feel like credibility has to do with the number, the amount of funding they get from the United States government, not by public trust and accuracy and validity of information. So when you see a leader or an organization take responsibility for mistakes, instead of jumping on the bandwagon of shitting on that person or that organization, take a second, 
and respect that that's a hard thing to do. And we need more of it. More leaders need to lead by that example because everybody fucks up. And I think that would lead to a better ecosystem for information in this country. Love you guys. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join the fucking Patreon. Join it. Shouts to Element for sponsoring the show. Keep your head on straight out there. Love y'all. Bye-bye.